I'm ready. Hit it. All right. All righty. Tom. I just got one question, really, to kick things off with. Sam, you ever been to the state of Indiana? I sure have, yes. Really interesting. Uh, spend any time in the Bloomington Farmer's Market, by any chance? <laughs> uh, no. Although, apparently, uh, some fascists do. Hmm. Interesting. What I uh, but if you, you yourself hadn't been there, it's kind of a... Kind of an outrageous thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't the first person to find these people out. Actually, there was like Antifa researchers who identified these like people who attend the farmers market as uh, pretty active online fascists. I'm just curious because I don't know that I've seen a farmers market fascist in the wild, except for Valerie Horn, who runs our Lecture County farmers market. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, actually, I guess I have seen them. <laughs> well, they're hard to they're hard to distinguish from just regular hippies. Before we get too far down, Tom's um, uh, what's Charlie Rose? Before we get down too far down, Tom's Charlie Rose impression. Mm-hmm. Um, let's back up for a minute <laughs> and introduce the show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, welcome to the Trillbillies this week. We've got Sam Adler Bell, or as he's known in the Trillbillies canon, Sam Adler Ding Tong. <laughs> Beaming in live from, yeah, you guessed it, folks. Uh, Fucking Cincinnati. <laughs> he's back. <laughs> we never got rid of him. Wait, wait, wait. Man. Love this I, fucking city. Love the fucking city of Cincinnati. The only city in the fucking world you can get a good piece of pizza. (laughs) (laughs) I love how this second-handed joke has still found its way into our canon, and everybody talks about it like... I I can't believe it. It's so stupid. It's it's so, so stupid. The Addled One's um, contributions to our podcast... You really uh, do have a really special place in Trailbillies canon because your contributions to the podcast include Cincinnati, fucking Cincinnati, Sam, fucking Cincinnati. The fucking Big Apple. The fucking Big Apple. And um, you were the first person on our pod to have introduced the the now infamous, uh, let's just see what happens if we try this Elizabeth Warren thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you all of this is on you man <laughs> oh, you got you guys are getting shit for that now i yeah, mean, we tried to bury it on the patreon but it reared its ugly head uh yeah we're not getting shit for it the entire left is getting uh shit for it um yeah i think we've been um honestly sam i will i do have to say that uh you wrote one of the probably <laughs> most cogent or i'll just say sober analyses of the elizabeth ironically uh, ironically <laughs> look at it. he looks like hell <laughs> right he came down here and i got him hooked on kratom and now he's <laughs> like you can positively see it in his eyes um no comment <laughs> but um but no you did you did i think it was for the outline um yeah it it was a pretty good summary of the the whole working families party debacle um you know man the left has been myself included has had a normal one for the past uh, <laughs> week or so yeah since that happened yeah <laughs> i like i think i think i said everything i have to say about it in that piece <laughs> so you don't so are you backing off of your june 2019 <laughs> I'm going to quote you here now. We're having look. I have, you have journalists scripts of the of the bonus episodes or something. I I do. I had interns type out all the transcripts to every single episode, and I'm going to hold your feet to the fire, like every good journalist we have on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you said that um, we could have all well, kinds you said, of. You said quote. <laughs> We could get all kinds of goodies from Elizabeth Warren presidency. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, goody man. What say you now about yeah, that? Yeah, answer for your crimes. All kinds of goodies. I stand by that. Uh, no, you know what the point, my point was. I know what your point was. It's man. less. It's, 
they're man yeah they're gonna destroy bernie if he gets elected <laughs> I, man every single republican and you know a third of democrats will try to make his presidency a disaster well um today so as we're recording this we're like an hour three of breaking news that um the Democrats have decided to impeach Trump finally, or at least begin. Oh, pro- thank God! <laughs> <laughs> at least begin proceedings. Um, what's uh, what say you, um, New York NYC pundit Sam Al Ding Dong? Is oh, would this ha- help the Democrats or hurt them going into the election? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a horrible guest. I I don't know. This is okay. I mean, yeah. Do you, I mean? Who the fuck knows? People are like so certain about it helps them or hurts them. I don't know. Well, here's my take. I'm, gl- I'm just glad Biden's involved. <laughs> Here, here's my take on it, if you want my take on it. Why wouldn't you? Uh, here's the thing. is The only reason, the only thing they stand to lose is sort of empowering these hordes of chuds to like really come out in full force next election, you know, or whatever. You know, it, it, by, to get behind their boy and get him reelected or whatever. Yeah, they're already behind the eight ball in that, that goddamn election anyway. They, I mean, yeah. the fucking uh, Jeff Goldblum from the Fly and Joe Biden running <laughs> as the favorite. I mean, like they might as well go for broke and peach his ass and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, that's I haven't heard that Jeff Goldblum and the Fly. I stole really, Terrence. Oh, it's, really, it's really works. <laughs> he's falling apart before our eyes. He is. It's like Reanimator. Um, uh, but the thing is, I, I'm all for it because I know they'll fuck it up. Like yeah. they will absolutely fuck it up. And yeah. the the funny thing about it is, um, they'll probably fuck it up so bad that they like lose badly in 2020. And wouldn't it be pretty funny if they lost the house again and it's just house <laughs> Trump just like it was in 2016? Um, I, I guess it would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, here's two victories you have to put together to make that work, though. It's not just about, like, successfully impeaching his ass or whatever. If you, like, run Joe Biden and impe- – like, like you're just undoing your progress. You know what I mean? Like, you have to run somebody that can beat him and then impeach him. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I also saw Buttigieg today uh, was at a rally, and he said something like, um, can't you – don't you look forward to turning on the TV and seeing, the you know, the president – and your blood pressure goes down instead of up. Yes. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the stupidest thing I've ever seen. It's like, can't you, isn't it so exciting to have a president who like, is it absolutely boring uh, and forgettable? And so it's so much preferable to the situation we are in now. I mean, they, or, or the point being, Buttigieg is doing the same thing that, uh, Biden's been doing is like let's just go back to when everything was rosy before Trump was elected, which is like you know insane and uh, and impossible and really offensive to everybody who was under the boot before Trump got elected. The, the halcyon days when we didn't know there were kids at the border being mistreated. <laughs> well, yeah, when, <laughs> when when it wasn't in our face every day. Well, that's the funny thing is like they'll send out the picture. There'll be pictures on Twitter all the time. They're like, "Look at this! It's horrible! Kids are being detained at the border." And then it's like, "This picture is from 2015." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, the I, the ironic thing about that is that um, Trump actually doesn't make my blood pressure raise. Like, oh. what makes my blood pressure raise is people like Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, people who... No, it, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, people who I think are sort of adjacent to my politics, obviously not in any... Like, there's, hard, there's a little bit of overlap, enough to where, like, I see what they're doing wrong and what they could be doing right. Um, so, and that's what makes my blood pressure go up. Like Trump is just. (laughs) Also, it's like Hillary Clinton didn't make any Democrats blood pressure go up. And so no one went to vote for her. (laughs) (laughs) 
she, yes, you're right. She she spread her plague, literally, the one that she had inside of her. Um, her, like, narcoleptic plague, and we all sort of... We didn't Pokemon yeah. go to the polls. We <laughs> Pokemon fell asleep and forgot yeah. to go to the polls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Buttigieg is... Um, uh, or Buttigieg. I said Buttigieg. Um, Buttigieg. <laughs> He's having a kind of good week. He um he had all those people dancing with the big cutouts of his face. That was Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> that was tight. That was badass. Yeah. Is that I mean, he looked It was a little bit more uh realistic than the Klobuchar video. Yeah, has politics always been doing this? Has In they... Iowa they do it. Uh, so they do this every year. They like yeah. Did they do it for the Republican primary in 2016? Was there like um I don't know. Probably. <laughs> they get them to do all kinds of ridiculous shit in Iowa because it's like a really weird place that happens to matter an enormous amount. So like they have to like eat like 10,000 corn dogs and like uh you know, you know, dance around and that's Iowa. Have you all ever like watched like a caucus happen? No, no. So I didn't know about this, but like Republicans caucus in Kentucky now, like sort of. And it's basically like a bunch of people just go to a house and then like they ask the question like three times in the affirmative, who do you support? And like if you support one person, you go stand in one corner. Yeah, (laughs) that's how it works in Iowa too. That is so fucking weird. It's like a school gym. Yeah, what are they trying to it's prove? Like, it's like Red Rover, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, isn't that literally how, like, ancient Romans used to vote? Like, you you would go down with your voting tribe to the forum, and if you support Flavius Maximus mm-hmm. Domitius, you go to this side. If you support Julius Caesar, you go to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you guess wrong, they just fucking kill you. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I want to find the warehouse with all the massive discarded heads of every politician <laughs> that's run for the last 30 or 40 years in Iowa. Yeah. There's Dukakis cutouts and um, drums from the Dukakis Drum Circle 88. Yeah. So, sounds pretty dope. Or like a big-ass Kucinich. That's what I want. Yeah. Kucinich's face. Dennis has been letting us down these, these last couple of years. Dude. <laughs> When I was like 21 or 22, when I was in my early 20s, Dennis Kucinich was like the man. That was like my quintessential politician. I was like, man, Obama's cool, but he's he's not as left as my man, yeah. Dennis Kucinich. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, that's one reason to be like, you know, grateful is that like the best left-wing politician is no longer Dennis Kucinich. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was bad times. Yeah, yeah, my friend who's from Iowa caucused for him in 20, uh, 2008. <laughs> he was like him and like four people in the auditorium <laughs> making yeah. a case for Kucinich. You know where you know where Big D's from, don't you? I don't. I think you do. Oh, fucking Cincinnati. <laughs> oh, yeah, Cincinnati son. <laughs> so the proud of that. son comes back. <laughs> so proud of Dennis. Yeah, yeah. Dennis. He's always welcome back in Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> fucking. He's even got the last name, Fucking Dennis Kucinich. That's right. It's, it's, all, it's from the fucking old country. We came over here. That's right. He sounds like a union leader. Uh, yeah well the funniest thing about Dennis Kucinich and this got totally swept under the rug but do you remember so I was about to ask do you remember when Benghazi happened but of course you do (laughs) you were there yeah (laughs) um you were part of Chris Stevens what was that guy's name you did everything you could to help Ambassador Stevens I did you were part of his Praetorian Guard um (laughs) when that happened um, it was like I think because they they uh they also like bombed the building or whatever that the ambassador and other people were in, right? Something happened. I thought. I don't. I don't remember. Maybe in my mind I'm conflating this with. <laughs> uh, maybe in my mind I'm conflating this with Gaddafi, but I seem to remember like um, 
I think actually now that I think about it, about it, it was Arab Spring, and when Gaddafi got booted out, they found all these documents like in a government building in like Tripoli in Libya or whatever that had like detailed like <laughs> Denis Kucinich's like very personal relationship with the Libyan government under Gaddafi. And oh, I, yeah. I I remember this being a huge deal for like two days, and everybody, you know, like this amounting to like Dennis Kucinich like violating the Hyde Act or Amendment or whatever that fucking shit is. Um, and then it went away. My man skated. <laughs> <laughs> well, leftists used to be real uh, kind of apologists for Gaddafi. Right. Back when I was in college. Still are. I mean, I don't know. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> May he rest in peace. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, we do what? I was just going to say, we came, we saw he died. <laughs> Dude, this fucking... Come on, Bell, show a little class. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, speaking of um, conquer Caesar Clinton, um, she had a tweet, I think, like a few days ago. I mean, like, Obviously, people have been pointing this out all day on the website and in the media or whatever, but just the outpouring of liberal support for Greta Thunberg. Um, yeah. Just, she, she's just like, our civilization will perish. We will drown under 2030 uh. devotion. Everybody's like, yeah! <laughs> woo <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she talks like she was like uh, like one of the oracles in that movie Three Hundred. <laughs> Your blasphemy. Um, yeah, I love it. I love it. It's, it's great, like theatrical uh, shit. But yeah, no, it's absurd. Like all these people who are completely complacent and at fault for uh, the you know imminent destruction of the world, being like, we love this little kid. We're all with her. She's giving us hope. I'd like to see a reality show where it's just Greta Thunberg sneaking up behind billionaires and screaming, how dare you, in their ear, and then pushing them in front of a bus. <laughs> and she just systematically murders all the world's billionaires to carry out Bernie's agenda. How dare you? How dare That's the last thing you hear before you just get the yeah. axe. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Um. Well, right, so This is something funny. I just got an email from a... Uh, uh, New Republic fact checker uh, to fact check the piece I was reporting when I was down there. Uh huh. Did you? Uh, did they ask if Tom actually so, is hung so, like a so, bank mule? Some holes in my account of things, huh? Yeah, yeah. They're like basically everything Tom says is suspect. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna actually need you to measure the size of his penis personally. <laughs> we don't believe it. Yeah, I I, I shouldn't have included that, but. He insisted, so. Better believe it, Pally. Dude, I'm trying to log into my New York Times account. I mean, what? <laughs> I just I just use the Pocket app to um, get around the paywall. Yeah, oh. that is a good workaround. I, so I had to, I did buy a New York Times account briefly. So um, for our live show, um, we did a live show about this Letcher County politician from the early 1900s, and the New York Times kind of wrote about him. Um, but to access their archives, you have to fucking have an account. And so mm -hmm. I still have an account. I yeah, never yeah. canceled it. Good excuse. Yeah. Um, but there was an article, there was an op ed in the New York Times today that says, For our future, the oil and gas industry must go green. The global, <laughs> the global economy has to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 at the latest. The person that wrote it was Christiana Figueres. She's an executive secretary of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Um, <clears throat> so, like, the... I hadn't really planned on talking about this today, so I hadn't really prepared anything. But this kind of just goes back to the, like, Greta Thunberg stuff. Like, um... She's, oh yeah, she's uh she's essentially you know, you know your families would perish in the f unquenchable fires of the future, and people are like, yeah, yeah, we gotta get the green, we gotta get the oil and gas to go green. And I um on Wall Street Journal, I always listen to the Wall Street Journal podcast. I don't know why in the mornings yeah. when I'm getting ready to not go to work to sit on my ass all day. <laughs> um, and the 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 woman who hosts it was. Uh, she, or they had a reporter on there who was at this 
thing where Greta Thunberg's this this panel on climate change, <laughs> and she asked Trump like what he thought about the whole thing. He goes, "I like clean air. I like clean water." That was his response. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it, man. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was that thing that was going around today where he said, with respect to Joe Biden? I didn't see it. Did you see that? I have to find that. No, it was fu- I forget what the context was. But it was funny. It was something. They were asking about something that had nothing to do with Joe Biden, and he spoke about it glowingly, but then he spoke about Joe Biden pejoratively to, like, bookend it, and it was just weird and had yeah. no place. It's like he's just like, Biden's absolutely going to be the nominee, so I got to get out there in front of him. <laughs> I got to start he... setting the landmines, folks. That's what he thinks, yeah, for sure. Oh, fuck. Well, uh, you didn't come here to talk about Dennis Kucinich, Sam. That'll ding dong. Mm-hmm. We came here to talk about uh, uh, farmer's market fascism, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the Sierra Club, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, you wrote a little thing for the New Republic came out today, entitled "What?" Entire. Oh, you're, at, you're asking me. <laughs> White supremacists are hooked on green living. Yeah, sorry, I didn't choose the headline, so I don't remember what it is. So I'll just go ahead and lead in with that, Sam. Why are white supremacists hooked on green living? Um. Well. The piece, like, it tracks kind of two tendencies within what could be called eco-fascism. And the first is I look back at, like, the German experience. Um, And, like, people, like, remember, people maybe know. It's an interesting way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) The German experience. Yes, tell me more about the German experience. (laughs) What happened there? (laughs) A little euphemistic. Uh, Okay. Well, the point being that, like, there was a tradition of, like, ecological nationalism that started in Germany well before uh, the Nazis took power. Um, It's like the Volkisch movement and um, it was basically like an uh, anti-modern, anti-capitalist revolt of sort of young people to go back to the land. Um, And I also, and then, and then that became that, that like was part of the roots of early Nazism. And there is like, some people have some vague sense of the fact that there were like green Nazis. Um, and that's true. There's like dispute about whether they actually implemented like particularly environmentally sound policies. Cause obviously they also like industrialized the country extremely rapidly. And, um, also like, you know, did war on the entire world. That. Um, yeah, but, but it is true that there was like people high up in the, um, Nazi party who were very committed, uh, ecologists who implemented like, you know, sustainable farming methods and like innovated a bunch of like green technological shit that actually now is used by lots of nations. Um, and the point is that like people talk about, um, people know the slogan blood and soil and people focus on the blood part. The soil part is also really important. Um, because, uh, what, Ecofascism does is sort of identify the national identity with the land um, and with the protection of sort of the like, you know, ecological pristine specificity of that land. Um, and so I talk about that, the sort of Nazi green shit, which there are like new iterations of popping up now in Europe and to some degree here. And then I also talk about sort of the American um, environmental racist tradition, which you guys have talked about on the podcast before. Yeah, we, we talked about the American eugenicists and the legacy of Teddy Roosevelt and whatnot with Brendan O'Connor. But what what else you got to add to that, uh, well, that conversation? I think, here? I think the thing that I try to do in the piece is sort of talk about how there is like a uh, uh, symmetry between the German fascist uh, blood and soil movement and the uh, American conservationist tradition. Um, Specifically around this idea of like conquering territory um, and like 
wilderness and uh, open land as the place where like the national soul resides. Um, and you get that with uh, the early conservationists who, as you know, are like also like total eugenicists, um, John Muir and uh, Madison Grant. Hey, He's- pal. John Muir sounds my paychecks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you say some particularly inflammatory things about uh, my employer and others like that. Uh, yeah, what are some of the things that you sort of uh, came across in researching this that that uh, people stuff- might not know about these supposedly benevolent liberal big greens? This is stuff that is like pretty well known and acknowledged by the Sierra Club, but maybe not well known by people who just think of Sierra Club as, um, as like you know the big green organization. But like into the 1990s, the Sierra Club had a pro you know strict border laws position and yeah. also population control position. Right. Um, and you know, and and I think you talked about when you were, when Brendan was on about John Tanton. Uh, who sort of was a, you know, Sierra Club dude who really pushed the organization to embrace more um, nativist tendencies. And then once he got sort of kicked out of the Sierra Club, he formed, with money from Cordelius Gave May, he formed, you know, FAIR and all the, like, contemporary, like, powerhouses of anti-immigrant research and propaganda that exist now. Many of which fund uh, ally organizations that I deal with every day, and I think about that a lot. Like, yeah, and, they, and I think a lot of them are like aware that they're taking money from, from fascists to do, you know, the work or whatever. Uh, yeah, but uh, but yeah, and yet they they keep going back to uh, <laughs> to the people that are funding it, which happen to be eugenicists. And, and yeah. So, so one of the things that I think is like important is that it's not like incidental that ecological thinking is susceptible to fascists thinking, um, and in and and one reason for that is that there's this like discourse in ecology of the like dualism between man and nature, mm-hmm. right? Like humans are a parasite on the earth, on nature, which is this like Edenic, perfect place right pristine place um and so humans presence in this otherwise pristine uh nature uh marks the sort of fall of nature and so if you accept that then it necessarily like reproduces this like malthusian shit because if man is that which destroys nature then saving nature requires fewer men right? right Right. Uh, You know, it's it's funny. It's funny because I was thinking about this today, especially in relationship to Bernie's big rollout of uh, of, you know, the the, I don't I don't believe billionaires should exist thing and everybody losing their shit, including uh, Ellen DeGeneres' producer or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But But it's funny, like even like obviously the organization I work for is funded by Michael Bloomberg and it's 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 kind of like uh you know, if these people who have, you know, stolen these huge fortunes, which you really can't do without stepping on working, poor and working people. No, yeah. And they, too, are also the people that have, you know, for lack of a better term, the biggest carbon footprint and all this stuff. We, uh, yeah, we definitely need to give them the wall first. Yeah. Well, this is, yeah, yeah this is another thing that, like, uh, came up a lot when I was writing this piece is like, you know, uh, I don't know if it's fashionable to talk about Murray Bookchin anymore, but like, he's like, you know, anarchist social ecologist who um, kind of like identified the fascist tendencies and like the rising deep ecology movement um, in the 80s and 90s. Um, and one of the things that he was always talking about is that when we when we make ecological arguments, we're always talking about we, like we have destroyed nature or like humanity, humankind has done this violence upon nature. But like the question is like, who the fuck is we? Like, yeah, what's this we shit? <laughs> yeah, because like, and so the, the, the anecdote that he always, that he always talked about in all his speeches and shit was that he was at the Natural History Museum um, in the early 90s or something. And he saw all these like 
you know, working class, like kids who were uh, participating in like a field trip. And at the, they had this like uh, exhibit about ecological destruction. And at the end of it, there's a thing that says like the worst destroyer of like the natural world. And then it's just a mirror mm-hmm. and it's like humans, humans do it. <laughs> yeah. So, so Bookchin is like, watches this happen. And he's like, like, what the fuck did this like black kid, 10 year old from Brooklyn, uh, you know, who's poor do to contribute to the ecological destruction of the earth. Right. And so what happens when we like talk about humankind as the problem is that we like create this undifferentiated mass instead of being able to name our actual enemies, which is right. not poor people. It's not, you know, for the most part, it's not, you know, working people in the global South. Um, and it's, it's certainly not, you know, like 10 year olds at the natural history museum. Um, it's yeah, it's the, the fossil fuel companies, the billionaires, the millionaires, people who have benefited from this system and continue to like prevent anything from getting done. Um, so that was a, that was a thing that kept coming up when I was working on this too. Darren, you got anything? I'm green Nazis. Oh no, <clears throat> no. I, I... <laughs> but, I mean, I could go on about this shit forever, but you know, I'm, I'm watching boring I'm, content. I'm rewatching The Sopranos right now. I'm I'm in season one, and there's this fucking one of the central themes of the show. Right, is like. Tony trying to square what he does with like, uh, you know, Melfi, you know, sort of like as, you know, she tries to prod him towards some sort of sense of morality and he'll be like, what about the fucking CEOs and the business? You know, they pollute the fucking earth. Like we just, you know, what we're doing, what we're doing. (laughs) It's basically like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's my contribution. Um, I'm signing off now. The way you were doing the accent, it sounds like he's from Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> what What does Cincinnati Tony Soprano sound like? It sounds exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and obviously, part of the message of my piece, and actually, a lot of other people have written good pieces about eco fascism lately, specifically because, like, the Christchurch shooter, the shooter in El Paso. Their manifestos reference like eco-fascist themes. They like they say things about how like the world is being destroyed by like people of color coming into this country, um, and our natural inheritance is being destroyed by immigration, um, and you know, and even implying that climate change necessitates you know making these kind of triage choices about who deserves to live and who deserves to die. Um, and so people have been writing about it a lot, but like that, that part of it is sort of the really live thing to me, which is that like, as climate change accelerates and climate, um, catastrophes become the norm, like stateless refugees are going to become a very live phenomenon. Even they already are right. Um, but the far right is preparing its strategy for confronting that by saying, um, well, citizens deserve care and protection from the effects of climate change and, any, and everybody else doesn't. Um, and it's, it's, it's wild because like one of the things that I came to in the report, reporting this piece is that the U.S. government has also like predicted this outcome. So right. in a two, 2003 study, people know that this isn't new to me, but uh, it was, it, I didn't like uncover this, but it was new to me. Um, <laughs> But like this 2003 study um, where they, they describe sort of this Pentagon study of the likely geopolitical effects of what they call an abrupt climate change scenario. And they say that um, wealthy nations will respond by constructing virtual fortresses around their countries, preserving resources for themselves, and that borders will be strengthened around the country to hold back unwanted starving immigrants from the Caribbean islands, Mexico, and South America. Um, so 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 basically saying that like like the border wall or any of these sorts of measures have less to do with like the crime and all this stuff and it's really just a hedge against like uh further depleting what resources we have available 
in preparation for the coming, you know, authoritarian climate nightmare well, this, crisis. This is- I think it's both. Yeah. I mean, it's not just one or the other, but I do think that like there's a vert. I, I think that the how like conscious the fact of climate change is in the minds of sort of fascist governments um, isn't necessarily clear to me, but they're already responding to the conditions created by it, right? Which includes increasing right. migration, uh, climate disasters where you have to triage who matters, who's re- what, where to spend resources. Puerto Rico, maybe not, but uh, did you know. see when they were evacuating people from the Bahamas? They had to. Yeah, they literally exactly. asked people to get off the boat. They changed the rule right. like while they were while they were on the boat. Yeah, um, to make it so people who didn't have what is this? People who had criminal um, records or who had been arrested isn't that wasn't that what it no. was, Sam? It was it was just that previously weren't allowed to be saved. Previously, it was the case that um, Bahamian citizens could come to the United States without a visa if they had a clean criminal record, and they changed the rule that you needed to have a visa during. Or like right after the hurricane. Um, and so there were, in fact, people on like boats leaving the islands um, who were who found out like while they were on the boats, oh, sorry, you're not going to be able to go if you don't have a visa. And those people had to get off um, and stay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the point being that like they don't need to acknowledge climate change as these eco-fascists they actually tend stay to. Stay there and deal with the fucking 180 mile per hour winds. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like, it's one way to understand what's happening in the world right now. These, like, nation state fortresses are responding to conditions that are created to some degree by climate catastrophe. And they're like, you know, nationalism is a form of climate adaptation. <laughs> and what the, the adaptation is that we're going to, you know, do triage so that, like, the privileges of wealthy people are protected at the expense of like the, you know, life or death needs of the poor. Dude, speaking of that, um, you, so, you know, you've got the, uh, the right, the far right wingers, like this is the big thing you hear now, right? Like the big thing you hear right now in terms of climate change is adaptation. We've all sort of resigned ourselves to any kind of political solutions. So now the far right, their adaptations, uh, are nationalism, fortress states, as you're saying, the technocratic liberals, I shit you not, I saw an article in the New York Times the other day talking about how pigeons, um, because they've been able to thrive in urban environments where they're constantly like under attack and stuff, they can teach us lessons Jesus for Christ. climate change. So <laughs> the, the thing is, like, I think it's the same exact shit that happened with Trump. Like, basically, the, the technocratic... <laughs> The technocratic liberals are saying now, oh, we're so against this shit. Like, okay, I talked to Christian Parenti when I was writing this piece, and he has this idea of the of the armed lifeboat, which is to say that, like, you know, there's this whole idea of lifeboat ethics amongst, like, disgusting Malthusian ecologists, which is that if you have a lifeboat with 10 people in it and, like, 30 people are in the water drowning, and it the, the whole lifeboat will sink if you let 10 more people in, like the ethical thing to do is to deny them entry into the lifeboat because otherwise everyone will die. Um, and Parenti has this idea of the armed lifeboat, which is to say that like that's what nations are doing with border walls and militarizing their borders. They're creating armed lifeboats. And I think like the super rich, like liberal yeah. technocrats. This is the kind of shit you, you've, you've like at every. At- I think Tom is like 30 seconds behind me and you, Sam. I know, I'm just noticing that. <laughs> Let me finish this thought, which is just that, like, um, I'm here. I'm here. I'm just turning off my camera about the broadband in Whitesburg. (laughs) See, I'm in Whitesburg. Tom's in fucking Lexington. So I don't know what his excuse is. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Um, I thought so I I should finish this thought. Yeah, I thought his camera. I see him talking right now, though. So we're about to get an incoming message. Okay, he's giving us a thumbs up. From the past or the future, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, all, all I want to say is that I think that like these technocratic liberals... I'm with y'all. Of- I can hear y'all. Go finish that thought. 
Okay. I was going to cut right. all this. Real quick. I was going to cut all this, but it kind of is amusing. All right. Yeah, uh, okay. So, so finish your thought. Technocratic liberals who are twiddling their thumbs writing articles about what pigeons are going to do for us. Ultimately, when push comes to shove, they're going to join in in this armed lifeboat shit. Like, that's why you had that, like, yeah. Google-sponsored, like, let's solve climate change out in the on an island thing where they all took, like, private jets to go talk about climate change. That's what they want. Ultimately, they're going to create, they're going to use private wealth to protect themselves from the effects of climate change. Um, and this, all this technocratic, like, bullshit is just them, like, waiting for the time where it actually matters and at that point they're going to go along with the fascists yeah i think you're absolutely right um but the weirdest thing to me about this is that all their scenarios and like hypotheticals they're all based on a situation that like we're just not in yet (laughs) like i mean when are we ever going to get to a point where 30 of us are in the water and 10 of us are in i mean like i don't know like that is just such a weird um, it's a metaphor and we're already the idea from the right wing people, the green nationalists and the fascists is that we're already there. Right? right. There's people trying to get into the country and we don't have enough resources or whatever to care for them. So the, the humane thing to do for the sake of the people already in the country, which is, say, in the lifeboat, is to prevent these people from coming in. Right. Which, which is insane because <clears throat> especially as it's related to America. I mean, I I don't know shit about the vast, like, 95% of the world. But I do know that in America, we have plenty of fucking resources. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <clears throat> but that's the yeah. thing. Like, I think that you're what we're getting towards here is um, the real purpose of all this stuff, uh, which is, um, it's, I mean, it's for a sort of, like, political purpose. We have two Toms in <laughs> the chat now. How is this happening? We have a Tom from the past, and I guess a Tom from the present. From the present. This is like this is like fucking Black Mirror shit. <laughs> this is fucking. Can you hear me now, motherfuckers? Yeah, yeah, we can. I had a lot of incisive commentary that just got lost us in there. So. Yeah, well, Nat, you're kind of quieter, and I can only see your teeth and mouth. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, carry on. <laughs> Oh, anyways, the point is, and it's the point with the Bahamian um, refugees during the hurricane. It's it's uh, it's not predicated on any actual resource constraints. It's all uh, for a political agenda to, you know, ignite the fucking MAGA base and get them more riled up for their racist purposes. And yeah, the 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 weird thing is, there's a sort of like complicated play between um, using potential future conditions as a justification for doing racist shit like pursuing their fascist like race purity goals with reference to like imminent like ecological collapse um and responding genuinely to ecological conditions uh with racist shit like it's i don't think that it's really like the causation thing is it's caught the causal situation is easy to identify so of course like there is the kind of fundamental bullshit, which is that, like, actually, all of these countries need laborers. Like, they all need workers. Right. Um, and, like, the idea that they don't want immigrants to come in is false. They want they only want immigrants to come in if they can be illegal so that they um, can exploit them. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. They need them to be politically disenfranchised. And they need them to, yeah, marginalize from the political process. Is, um, yeah. And- that shit is one of the, like, most stupidest things about, like, even left-wing discourse is the idea that they don't want people in the country. I mean, like, they principally are against them for, like, racial, like, hygiene reasons, but also do want them as long as they are, like, maximally exploitable. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, you need a You need a sort of underclass that has absolutely no rights whatsoever um, so that you can, uh, you know, you could call that, uh, I don't know. I mean, it is sort of a form of slavery in its own way as all sort of like wage work is in this country. But um, And it's yeah. also it's also demonstrating higher value for, for example, people in Appalachia that are like desperate for income. 
You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, you could have these jobs these people are taking from you. So basically what it's doing is keeping people like in places like where we're from locked in this cycle of desiring these like shitty choices, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Well, um, well, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, if there is do you, uh, what's the uh, solution, Sam? What's, the upshot? Yeah, what's the upshot, man? <laughs> uh, it's funny because like the end of the the way the piece ends like in the version that got published is like i'm like well the only thing we can do is like communist revolution and uh brendan brendan o'connor was like dm'd me and was like hey man you just did the thing which is when you like have no nothing to say at the end of a piece you just do the like we need communist revolution kicker <laughs> but it's like it's like correct but like you it like is not that helpful of a answer <laughs> um but like i guess the important thing is that i think that like i think that even the left isn't sufficiently prepared for a situation where the right the empowered right is sort of like distinguishing between human beings and non-humans on the basis of the border so we're like saying that we like we like immigrants blah 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 but we actually have to like develop a concept of like political community that extends beyond borders because they've already developed a, an answer to the problem of statelessness, which is that anybody who's not a citizen deserves to die or like can be interned basically in camps. So like even as much as the left discourse about migration has improved, it's not probably where it needs to be, especially in terms of linking it to climate catastrophe yeah yeah um so yeah basically what you're saying is uh we need communism what was that internationalist you know labor movements that's that's quite that's quite a term from the sock dim goodies of elizabeth (laughs) this is the problem i'm always like too far to the right or too far to the left for people like i just I think that well, whatever. <laughs> I feel like no. Say you've got a platform. Just say what you want to say, man. <laughs> respond to my. <laughs> yes, that you're respond, in a tribunal. Respond to the past. Well, I think that people like. I think that a lot of. I don't really. Care. I put less stock in electoral politics. It seems like than some of these people who get really mad at me about being like so so about Elizabeth Warren because I'm like we're not going to solve it this way. So like. Like, yeah, the Bernie, like, cult of personality is, like, a little bit silly and embarrassing to me. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. <Wow. laughs> I can't take Tom seriously because he sounds like he's got a sock over his phone or whatever he's talking into. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> this looming just boilerplate Charlie Rose present. Yeah, and I just see your nose and mouth. <laughs> uh well i mean that's always been my thing from the beginning uh but i don't know like um i guess my thing from the beginning has always been more of a critique of the electoral system itself and its limitations for affecting change but um as warren goes more and more into her sort of um i guess strategy of trying to peel off certain Bernie voters and just straight up appropriating some of his platforms and as a result Bernie kind of moves further to the left which I think is happening I mean I think that's true yeah um, Yeah. I think it's interesting did y'all see the hilarious headline in the Washington Post this morning it's like Sanders influenced by Warren uh, starts talking about sweeping tax oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah notoriously late to the party on those things yeah (laughs) the guy who literally said like millionaires and billionaires like every 10 seconds in his last run right is now yeah is now taking liz warren's beats yeah um yeah uh i mean obviously you know i think bernie's bernie's my dude full-on like he Man, I listened to his. He was on that long interview he did with Joe Rogan. Did you listen to that? I never did listen to it. No, it's, huh? it's kind of good. Like you realize that, like 
it's never hard for him to answer a question because yeah. the answer is always like the class war. Right. And that's just like really incredible to hear from a person who's running for president. So I still have that like romantic attachment to, to Bernie for that reason. But um, I don't know when I try to be like clear eyed about the prospects of our electoral system and the, the constraints of the executive and like, you know, we like make fun of you for it. Yeah, I guess get made fun of. But like, like when Bernie sits down for his president, Bernie sits down for his first meeting with the Joint Chiefs. Is he going to say, "Look, no, it's over. None of these wars. Like, yeah, bring them all back." Like, I, that's a big question, man. No, that, he's that not going to do that. It's like, yeah, it's like, like, is he going to be compromised on day two of the job when he doesn't immediately withdraw? Ever, you know what I'm saying? Well, these, these the generals will say like, yeah, okay, like he'll maybe he'll float it, like let's move people out of like this part of North Africa, and he'll they'll say, well, uh, you know, uh, two thousand or ten thousand people will die if we do that, like right away, you know, and he'll yeah. be like, he'll have to make this kind of like global hegemony, like, uh, you know, choice, and uh, I think he'll be constrained by just like the fact that we haven't actually won you know this, this is this is this is the problem of running to be the head of an empire yeah like you guys have talked about that before i think that's right well i i guess i'm becoming a little more sort of um as time goes on what would be the word i'm looking up the word um sanguine i think that sanguine. Might, that might be the word bloody um, covered in blood sanguine I'm, penguin covered in blood um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. I um I think the reason why people just get so you know, passionate about it, which we all should be, um yeah. as you know, leftists who care about the future of the left. Yeah. Um I think the reason why though is um well, there's a lot of different reasons, but uh people really need something to believe in right now. And also the thing I hear a lot is um this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. It's a once could in a be. lifetime shot. And yeah. and that's the thing. It could be. It and um and I don't really I don't have a, a rebuttal to that. And in fact, if that's the case, then we really do have to take a page from uh our friend Lennon's book and uh sees history. Uh because if it really is a once in a lifetime opportunity then I mean, yeah, it's like we've said before also on the show, you can't sit it out. Um, and yeah. so I don't know. I think, I don't know. I think we should be doing everything we can to make that the the case. Um, but my, my, uh, the I think the, I've tried to do several times sort of come to like a point of zen with it, but I think the place I've arrived at is do everything you can to make sure Bernie will win, but... Don't let it um, crush you and your soul and spirit and everything about your optimism about the future if he doesn't. Yeah. Um, so I think that feels like a pretty... Uh, that feels I hope, right. I think that's that sensible. Right, Thanks. I've been working on it. Um, <laughs> after... This is this this inadvertently turned into a stop four on the Bernie apology tour. <laughs> I feel like we, I feel like the degree the like the difference of like demeanor of all of us from the beginning of this episode to now is like an extreme uh difference. <laughs> <laughs> we it's all crazy. we all do some things in this hour. Tom, <laughs> would you get off yourself? your goddamn phone? <laughs> get back on your computer. I can't even hear you. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, my my computer's just it's just damn fun. it. Uh, well, I don't know if this episode will be salvageable, but um, at least we've we've done a character arc, one of those classic things you're supposed to do in all episodes, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we started at point A and we've gone to point B. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the the question is: Yes, we do need these. We do need communist revolution to. <laughs> avert all these things the question is is how do you get there and whether it's through bernie i mean it's hard to say because none of us can read the future but um i think the point is is that leftists do have to take advantage of uh historical circumstances as they're presented yeah um 
And yeah. the thing, the weird thing about history is that it, and uh, as I get older, maybe I'm sort of softening on this. But the weird thing about history is that it doesn't necessarily contour to historical materialism. It really is a kind of interplay between um, personalities, <laughs> and determination, and contingency. Yes, that's determinism exactly, and contingency. That's exactly right. Yeah, and um, and so yeah, you you kind of have to take advantage of it. Uh, yeah. I think the best argument for Bernie is that, like, if he's president, like, he's not going to be able to implement all these policies just because, like, the Congress is going to be divided, the courts are going to strike down whatever he tries to do anyway. Uh, but he's he can be, like, an agitator in chief. And, like, yeah, my line lately has been, like, that Bernie should do what Trump did for racism, but do it for class war. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Bernie's to match Trump's commitment to racism. Think about it. Trump, Trump, like mainstreamed all this like horrible racist bullshit, and he like prints it out on his like Twitter all the time. He picks fights with people so to polarize the public around basically like racist uh, conflict. And Bernie should do the same thing, but for class war, like pick fights with the with the enemy all the time, yeah. and mainstream socialist ideas and well, use use you know use the presidency to like help the movements because bernie's presidency isn't going to win socialism it's it's going to be a passing thing that happens because our movements aren't there yet yeah um, but if bernie can do whatever whatever like i don't even know everything you could do whatever is in his power to do to empower the movements then it would be worth it well, something Terrence has said a lot is that Bernie would be a good union organizer, a union agitator, and all that kind of stuff. And so, well, I think this, I think the thing is, is my line on this is that I think he would be a great asset to the labor movement. It's like because yeah. of what you were saying about him going on Joe Rogan, like he does, like he's so great at that kind of um, thing because his answers always go back to class war. And so, I, this is again why I my line on this is. Do everything you can to make sure that Bernie stays in it as long as possible and even wins. But don't be crushed if he loses because he is an incredible asset to the labor movement, which yeah. historically in the West and, well, just worldwide has done, a, in my opinion, has been able to affect a lot more sort of disruption to the system Um than electoral politics and that's what we need right now i think we yeah. we do need disruption to the system more than we need reification of the system maybe yeah. i'm becoming an accelerationist but uh i'm also getting pretty fucking angry i don't have health care and uh look i don't have a whole lot to fucking lose all right <laughs> uh, i'm eating too much canned foods and tv dinners <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of other people are probably in that boat. I don't fucking yeah. know. It's hard to know. It's hard to know. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Well. Look, there's also a lot of people in this country who love um, Elizabeth Warren type electoral politics. And um, and we shouldn't forget that Hillary Clinton got more fucking votes than like any candidate in history. And uh, well, yeah. The other problem is that a lot of those people who were like the very liberals uh, voters who were with Bernie last time are with her this time. You know, like it just happened to be that he was the only like in their kind of political schema. He was the progressive. So they went with him. Yeah. But as soon as there was an alternative that wasn't as scary, quote unquote, they want her instead. And that's like a real that's a political reality. Um, that we have to face. And the upshot to that, though, too, is that, like y'all are saying, Bernie's moving further to the left as a consequence of that, right? Because to sort of differentiate himself from this yeah. appropriator of his policies. So, you know, that's that's something that can be worked with. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the, again, though, I think leftists need to keep in mind that we live in a bourgeois democracy in which the people that vote are generally more materially comfortable and they have a lot to sort of lose from a Bernie presidency. And so uh, it is, it really is threading a needle. And so um, that's why uh, we can't like, uh, what I'm worried about, dude, is, you know, after the French Revolution, um, there was like, you know, like the sort of Gothic literature movement, like, um, you know, Mm -hmm. Mary Shelley and Frankenstein and all this. Frankenstein, like, was 
born out of the sort of disaffection and demoralization of the post-French revolutionary society. Like the dream in fuel, um, in full view of a better society, of a more equal society, just yeah. dashed on the rocks of reaction. Yeah. And that's yeah. really what I'm scared of. I'm scared of an entire sort of generation, a millennial generation becoming disaffected and, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> riding I, gothic horror. I love I gothic you, horror, but- I think that's a legitimate did, did you know that Frankenstein's the doctor, not the monster? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Mind blown. Yeah, but I, that does worry me, and uh, and that's yeah. that. And that, I guess those are the people that I'm also speaking to. It's just like we, like, don't put so much into this that we are. Yeah, we're all writing gothic literature in our parents' basements in 20 yeah. years <laughs> yeah that's for sure i was thinking before i came on though that like you know the, the neoliberal biker might have uh <laughs> something to add to this discourse this has a few policy yeah. suggestions yeah. Can, can you get him on the line real quick yeah yeah hold on hold on it's weird he's up here in new york but um so listen we're uh we're thinking about the future. We're thinking about uh, what we're going to do about climate change. And here's my idea. Uh, hear me out. Look, uh, you fill up all the bodies of water <laughs> with that with that stuff uh, that you know. If you break open a glow stick, <laughs> and it's that stuff is reflective. Put that in all the water and all the earth, and I think you know we got it. You know, pretty much solved right there. I I think I see what you're saying, Mister. You're saying the the air, the sun rays, go back up into the space. Is that? Yeah, some of the boys have been using those uh, sticks, those glow sticks, for some reason, and uh, you know, I told them at first they were kind of you know lame, but. Uh, I'll come around, and I think that might be the solution right there. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I'll put you in touch with Greta Thunberg, and um, maybe... oh, I love, I love Greta. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the two of you can, uh, well, as she goes back across the ocean, you can ride your bike right next to her across the ocean. Yeah, I've just been yas queening so much watching her on TV. <laughs> Oh fuck! God damn it! <clears throat> wow! Damn. Yeah. Thanks it's, for being with us, man. It's nice we to see you. your faces, boys. It is. We missed you. Um, We've missed you a bunch. Uh, you got a podcast yourself now that you teased a little bit last time you were on, but now y'all are pretty well into it. You're fully grown. It. Yeah. Why don't you uh, plug that a little bit? You're fully adult. Right. Yeah, we got a podcast. It's called Know Your Enemy hosted by me and Matthew Sittman, and it's about the American right, the conservative movement. And we, uh, we look closely at the ideas of the right, and uh, we try to, you know, take them apart, but also identify the ways in which we have something to learn sometimes by the movement strategies of the right, um, or, you know, learn the, the ways that we can defeat them by understanding their the real idea is better. Um, so, yeah, it's Know Your Enemy. And we have Patreon where we do bonus episodes, probably less frequently than <laughs> this podcast. But, uh, well, we're yeah. mentally diseased, literally. No, you really clearly are. Uh, yes. But <laughs> we, we have, we're on Patreon as well at uh, Know Your Enemy. And we're on Twitter at, uh, I think it's, no y r enemy pod it's like that lcd sound system song dance yourself clean yeah. but with where you y take all the vowels out except dance for the o and pod because then it'd just be <laughs> no no your pod <laughs> which, which is also very important but yeah uh, well it's like kind of writing about eco-fascism is in keeping with the stuff we talk about on the pod so if you're interested in that what we talked about then i don't know 
listen well, to our podcast. I got I got to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm not just saying that because you're here, like I usually do with other guests. <laughs> wow. It's uh. It's very good, so everybody should go check that out and uh, go check out this New Republic piece we just talked about. And uh, yeah, it's called if just re- one more time, why white supremacists are hooked on green living. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, thanks. It's been real, boss. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, buddy. We'll see you later. We'll see you soon. Give, uh, give our regards to the neoliberal biker too. Oh, yeah. He's sleeping on your couch, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, he's passed out. (laughs) Great. All right. Adios. See ya, boys.